we need to say hello today and uh, welcome home to Amy Slaybaugh. Uh, while we were suffering one of the longest and coldest winters in Thunder Bay history, Amy was suffering for Jesus in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're glad you're back and uh, be praying in days of transition. You want to pray for Amy because when you've been on a missions trip wherever that is it's just tough to come back and uh, reintegrate so uh, you want to remember her in prayer thank you for your prayer for us while uh, we were away we had a couple of uh, specials that we weren't really anticipating when we had first uh, looked at going to visit our second son who lives in metropolitan Washington, D.C. In Minneapolis, the day before we flew out, we had uh, coffee with the man who conducted our wedding 46 years ago in July. And if I look, well, I was going to say if I look that good when I'm 86, he looks better than I do now. Um, so that was a delight. And then when we flew back in on our way home, about an hour north of Minneapolis is a woman that uh, we had as a classmate at Cape and Ray Bible School in England. We last saw her in 1975. So uh, those were raisins in the oatmeal as uh, someone puts it. We enjoy oatmeal, and every once in a while there are raisins, and that's a special flavor. Let me ask you this. What's it worth spending your life on? What's your life worth? The psalmist said this. Teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to wisdom. A professor of mine, if you asked him, he would be able to tell you exactly how many days he had lived. He was an Old Testament prof, took this pretty seriously, and said, we all think that our end is out there somewhere, like, but a long way out there. And then we discover that the years pile in, the years pile in, the years pile in. So when we met our friend Melody this week, it's like, I can't believe it was 1975 was the last time we saw this person. And if I'm reading the room correctly, most of you weren't on the planet in 1975. And it seems not that long ago. I know it's a full lifetime ago. 
if you've lived 30 years, you've lived 10,950 days. If you've lived 50 years, you've lived 18,250 days. At 70, 25,550. At 90, 32,850 days. How are you going to spend those days? Because they keep clicking in. And I want to be sure that when I get to the end of my days, whatever they may be, however long I have left, however long you have left, I hope you join with me in this. I want to live a life of significance for Jesus. I hope my family has some nice things to say, etc. But I really want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the joy of your Lord. Don't you? Because if Jesus is who we say he is, if Jesus is the one that we sing about him being the anchor, we sing about him being our very life, if he really is the one that a little later we will remember him in his body given for us, in his blood shed for us, I want to be sure at however many days I have that these have been days that he believes were significant. We've been looking at the body of the Lord Jesus, a reminder that when the New Testament uh, gives us analogies about the church, those that are in Jesus, does so in three ways, that Jesus is, uh, the church is the bride of Jesus. The church is the building of Jesus. But the church is the body of Jesus. And if you've got your Bibles, I would invite you to turn back with me to Ephesians chapter 4. We have looked at the unity that is ours in the Lord Jesus. In fact, Paul tells the church at Ephesus that they need to work hard at maintaining the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Why? Because there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us 
according to the measure of Christ's gift. If you turn with me to 1 Peter and chapter 4, you'll note in verse 8, Peter writes, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. What's he telling us? This. That when you entered a personal relationship with Jesus, God delighted to gift you spiritually, to give you a spiritual gift. We have natural gifts that we're born with. Some people can smile when they sing. A natural gift. Some people can actually sing. Some people are good at sports. Some people are good at the maths and sciences. Some people are incredibly creative. They can draw or paint. Those we would be considered to be natural gifts because there are people who have the ability to do those things whether they have a personal relationship with Jesus or not. But when we come into a personal relationship with Jesus, then God by his spirit who indwells us grants to us a spiritual gift or gifts. So if you're in Jesus today, God by his spirit has gifted you. That's why when we looked a couple of weeks ago about how incredibly important that you are to the body. Remember the two fallacies? One fallacy being this, that they don't need me. The other fallacy being that we don't need them. No, we're needed together because you, in Jesus, have a spiritual gift, gifts that's unique to your personality, unique to your mind, your soul, your spirit. And if you're not exercising your gifts among us, we are not all that we could be, that we should be, for Jesus' sake. And what's incredibly exciting in the use of the gifts that God has given you is that you see Jesus working in you and through you in a way that you know that on your best day ever, you couldn't accomplish.
I remember a number of years ago, at the end of a service in Brantford, it was just evident that the Holy Spirit was moving among us. I had a doctor's appointment the next day and the doctor was a part of our church fellowship. And I said to him, yesterday really amazed me because I really didn't think that I spoke very well. And he said, I didn't think it was one of your finer efforts either. And what was amazing was that God by his spirit decided to do something in that service that left all of us knowing this. Only God by his spirit could do that. You could have the finest lecturer who knows Greek, Hebrew, and anything in between, and expounds the text. But unless God by his spirit does something, it's a lecture. I don't want to come to a church gathering to have merely a lecture. Do you? I want to have at the end of a service this sense that God by his spirit has moved among us, moved in our hearts. I believe that happens best when all of us are involved in exercising our spiritual gifts. That being the case, would you turn with me to Romans in chapter 12? Romans chapter 12, beginning in the first verse. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So he calls on us to say, this, my life is not my own, Lord Jesus. My life belongs to you. And I give you my life for you to use my life in any way you see fit. And then he goes on to explain this to us. How do we practically do that? For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment 
each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Go back. What does he mean when he says, don't think more highly than we ought to think, but think with sober judgment? The classic story is this. You show up at a meeting and the person that was going to play the piano isn't there. And somebody points at someone and says, they can play. And that person says, oh, no, 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 I'm not, no. And they finally get to the piano and it's... And what Paul's saying is this. Listen, if you can't do that on the piano, don't pretend that you can. But if you've got gifts, don't pretend that you don't. Look wisely in the mirror and say this, hey, this is the way that God has gifted me. And according to those gifts, whatever they might be, for the good of this body, I want to exercise them. And then he outlines them for us. Look at them, beginning in verse 6. Having gifts differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith. Most times when we hear the term prophecy, we think, oh, somebody is going to be talking about what is not now, but it was what is in the future. If you check out Old Testament prophets, prophecy historically had very little to do with what was going to happen in the future. What prophets did do with authority was say this. Here's what God has said. They were unafraid. They were unashamed. They said, hey, this is what God has said. You, you want to find somebody that has the New Testament gift of prophecy? It will be somebody that when you talk to them about uh, whatever position, they'll want to take you back to the scripture and say, but uh, here's what the Bible says. But here's what the Bible says. There'll be lots of discussion, lots of input, and you may be the kind of person that every time something is raised... For you, it's, but what does the Bible say? And if you have that particular gift, and that's just the way your mind works, your spirit works, don't be ashamed of that. 
every body of believers needs somebody that's going to say, here's what the Bible says. Second, says this. If service in our serving. Early this morning, a couple of people arrived and they got the coffee on and everything else ready for us. If we said to those two people, very kind of you to have done that this week, next week, we'd like the two of you to lead in worship. Once we picked them up off the floor, say, but that's, that's not what drives me. And, and when you find people whose spiritual gift is serving, you find, and, and it's not mine, I can tell you this, so that if I'm walking in and the snow is this deep, I think to myself, I sure hope somebody's going to shovel this. The servant looks and sees that immediately and gets to it. Now, where we have to live with each other is this. The person that is always coming back to, well, what does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? They're always in danger of dealing with somebody else. And Well, those people don't even care what the Bible says. No, that's just not the way they look at things. And the servant needs to be careful that they don't end up thinking, huh, everybody else around this place thinks they're too good to clean toilets or mop floors or do whatever. It's just left to us that really love Jesus. If that's your gifting, then by all means, be involved in that because that's what drives you and gives you great joy in doing it. You just have to be careful when you are exercising your gifts that you're not looking down on someone who may not be gifted in the same way you are. Thirdly, the one who teaches in teaching. Somebody who has that spiritual gift will be forever saying things like, see this little word here? Well, originally it meant this. And, and that seems to mean a ton to them. And it's really important that they point that out. And they will study to the nth degree because that's what really grabs them and is important to them. Sometimes what frustrates them is somebody else is like, I don't care what the root of that word is. Tell me how in the world this makes a difference in my everyday life on Monday morning. But we need people who are 
really willing to work with the text, to dive deeply into things and keep us on track. The one who exhorts in exhortation. I have never been in any body of people where someone says this. If I get more encouragement, I have no idea what I will do. Because, no, no, no. Um, I'm overwhelmed with encouragement. Please stop the encouragement. The person that has the gift of exhortation, the gift of encouragement, exercise that gift, please, because we need that, don't we? Okay, when I say about encouragement, don't we? All right. Don't just like stare at me. Okay? I have never met a pastor in all my years who has said to me, Steve, I don't know whether I am going to be able to stay long-term at that church because they are such encouraging folks. I don't know if I can stand it. But you start putting it together. And you see that the person who is serving... The encourager might not shovel the snow. But if the gift is exhortation and encouragement is really thankful to that person and they're encouraged in in doing that. So if you have the gift of exhortation, of encouragement, exercise that gift freely. Keep doing it. Because if you're exercising other types of gifts, the way we keep going often is simply because somebody gives us a little word of encouragement of exhortation to say, hey, I know that not many people might notice this. I don't want you to be discouraged. And I thank Jesus that you're serving in this way. The one who contributes in generosity the giver interestingly enough if you follow it through on the person that has the gift of giving they won't be the person that gives willy nilly they will be the person when It's up on the screen and here's our budget for the next year. We'll want to be sure that every dollar is being spent wisely. 
They'll want accountability. Frankly, in my experience, they're not always the most popular people in congregational settings because they tend to ask like a difficult question. Why is the pastor being paid that much? You know, those kinds of things. Uh, And they really care about how the Lord's money, because I remind you of this, the Bible doesn't teach anywhere that uh, we give whatever percentage that you want to put on it and the rest is ours. What the Bible teaches is this, it's all his. And uh, he graciously allows us to keep some of it. If you're gifted that way, then great, exercise your gift, but recognize, because we come to it in a moment, is that there is the gift of mercy. And mercy people look at the same screen and say, why aren't we being more generous to this group of people? Why aren't we doing more to help these folks? And if the mercy person and the giver don't understand each other, that there's different spiritual gifts, one will go home saying, I can't believe those hard-hearted people. The other will go home saying, good thing I'm there because if it wasn't for me, they'd sell that church for a nickel. And when the gifts are being used within the body, And you start thinking now about the people that you know at grassroots. And that's going to help you not only with uh, the identification of your own spiritual gift, but of other spiritual gifts, because you know and say, okay, when this subject comes up, we'll hear from, don't tell me that you don't do that, because I know you do. This subject comes up, and those will be the people that are concerned about that. And and so it goes, because what happens is, within the body of Christ, we're exercising the spiritual gifts that God has given to us. And what the text says is that that's what happens for the strengthening of the body. Because it does not matter how much work I do with my left arm, I have discovered this. It doesn't build up any muscles in my right calf. Have you noticed that? Because the way that our physical bodies are put together, where every part does its share, so it is for the body of the Lord Jesus here at Grassroots. We need the specific gifting that you have that drives you. Why does he say that the one who does acts of mercy needs to do it with cheerfulness? 
Because if you have the gift of mercy, the struggle for you will be to continue to be cheerful as you do that when you run into other people who aren't gifted the way you are, who don't look at things the same way you do, that you continue to act in mercy. You continue to act in love, in reaching into situations that other people aren't seeing because they're not gifted the way you are. The one we didn't touch on, only because I overlooked it, the one who leads with zeal. Some are given the spiritual gift of leadership. And he says with zeal, because of this. Primary struggle for those who lead is discouragement. Because the one who leads by their very nature is looking down the road and saying, okay, this, 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 and this, That needs to be in place if we are going to fulfill the vision that the Lord Jesus has given to us as a group. And by the nature of church life, they have to do it with zeal and not get discouraged because of this. All kinds of things happen in local churches that derail a long-term vision. People move, new people come. Pastors change. You look for a pastor. And in the midst of all that happening, you need people with the gift of leadership that keep their eye on the long-term goals of this is the vision that Jesus has given to this body and here's what we need to fulfill and here's how we need to do that. My sense of things for grassroots at the moment is we're trying to figure out who we are and what that long-term vision actually is. That's a good process. That's a good process. For those of you that are already discouraged because you're saying, hey, We're now in June. Pastor Keith left a year ago. And where are we? Don't get discouraged. We're we're getting there. We're getting there. We've got a 
couple of committees that are meeting. You ought to be encouraged by that. We've got some people that are considering stepping up to the plate in service on the board. You ought to be encouraged by that. You look around. And if you see some faces today that aren't familiar to you, you know what you do with that? You say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because as we, as a body of believers, determine this, here's our long-range goal, Here's who we want to be in Thunder Bay, that we believe that this body has some uniqueness about it that some other churches don't have, and that Jesus has a goal for us here. That if we don't accomplish this goal, it won't get accomplished in Thunder Bay. And if you believe what the scripture teaches about our necessity and our gifts, we need to be functioning together to reach the goal that Jesus has for us. Because it's one thing for us to say about wanting to share the love of Jesus um, around the entire world. That's in our documents. We need to look at the long-range goal of sharing the love of Jesus in Thunder Bay with my neighbors, with your neighbors, at your school, at your work. That we offer here the love of Jesus in a particular way that we believe this is what the scriptures say and based on what the scriptures say this is how we are going to live out the life of Jesus in our homes and in our community ready for the challenge I confess, as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus, a little bit of sadness. And the little bit of sadness is this. Just the way things are, I know that Annette and I aren't part of the long-range goals for grassroots. Interim pastors don't hang around. But I'm really excited for this group of people to have a vision about where Jesus wants to take us using the gifts that he's given to you so that Jesus says about not only us individually, but about grassroots church. Well done. 
good and faithful servants. You've accomplished my goals for you in this generation. Won't that be wonderful? Pray with me to that end. That's all because over 2,000 years ago, a Jewish man named Jesus was nailed to a Roman cross. His body given for us. His blood shed on our behalf. Before we remember him, would you pray with me?